today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, I am so happy to talk to one of my dear friends and jewelry artist and podcast marketer extraordinaire, Andrea Lee. Um, she makes amazing, wonderful, original custom jewelry. She's out of Denver, Colorado. She's one of my Denver people from when I lived down there for such a long time. And we're just really excited to talk to her about her process, her jewelry, and the wonderful progress she has made marketing on oftentimes the most unlikely of platforms, Pinterest. So, uh, this is going to be an exciting interview. It's kind of short because we had some time constraints on both ends, but it's just going to be a very interesting interesting conversation, and uh, make sure to check out her work after the interview. So, here is Andrea Lee of Andrea Lee Designs. Let's go. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. And it's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, in our ongoing interview series, we are welcoming jewelry designer and personal friend of mine, Andrea Lee, to the podcast. We're going to talk about jewelry, a little bit of marketing, um, and what inspires her truly interesting and revolutionary design. So welcome, Andrea. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am all right. I am all right. I am... Excellent. <clears throat> I'm excited to have you on because we've had a ton of writers in a row and I think people are getting bored so it's good (laughs) to shift gears to another to another craft and I want to dive right in by getting clear on you and your background so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got in to making jewelry well all right so um i got into jewelry um many years ago actually i i've always been pretty crafty i've always been really good with my hands and art um and i've always loved jewelry always um in fact i think what you know i uh back in grade school everyone thought that whenever i die i would have a fabulous pair of earrings that i'd be buried with because <laughs> i would sneak these earrings on on the bus because my parents wouldn't allow me to wear jewelry or at least flamboyant jewelry yeah and so i would sneak these giant earrings on put them on on the bus and i just was known at school as like jewelry girl and so this has been this has been a long time in the making and in fact i think a lot of things that you end up doing end up choosing you long before you actually end up choosing it so that's kind of you know kind of the backgrounds and um how i got into actually making it for a living or actually trying to figure out how to make it into a career was i started making jewelry for myself um just kind of looking at designs that i would see in a department store and i would be like hey i could probably make that myself um for a much more affordable price and so i started to do that and i started wearing my my own work and I was working retail at the time and customers would just stop me in my tracks and be like, where did you get that necklace? And I would respond, well, I made it. <laughs> so kind of that is what sort of launched the, uh, the concept that this could be something potentially that I could make a living off of. Absolutely. So for those, <clears throat> because this is an audio experience, for those that don't understand, 
when she talks about jewelry, we're not talking about your run-of-the-mill department store sort of several hundred dollars sort of thing. This woman will, you know, glue two different stones together and make it seem like nature intended it that way, which I heard her (laughs) at a party one time refer to as that's the magic and I'm not going to tell you how I did it, which I thought was very clever. (laughs) (laughs) um, I don't know about glue, maybe wire. Yes, wire, yes. (laughs) But by by glue, I mean joy. Cause to come together. (laughs) Yes. But by glue, I mean to cause to come together, you Mm -hmm. know, in Mm -hmm. one unit sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So people should definitely go and see the visual presentation. I've always wondered what, in terms of like the creativity, because your style is so, there's multiple textures, there's multiple lighting angles there's multiple there's it it can be very angular at times how did you develop your own voice in jewelry yeah that's always i feel kind of the the hardest hurdle for any artist whether a writer whether a jewelry maker you know is finding your voice right what what is the identifying characteristics of your work that people will just instantly recognize whenever they see your work um, and, you know, for me, my journey to kind of identify what that voice was for me as a jewelry designer was I just wanted to create something that you just couldn't find in the marketplace, you know, that was unusual and unique and one of a kind and not something you would see in a typical department store or anything like that, because that's what my taste was like, right? I think as, as a creative person, you sort of kind of, you know, you know, you create kind of like out of your own taste and what you are personally drawn to. And so this is definitely no exception for that. And, you know, like I said, I was making jewelry for me, you know, initially. So, you know, I was trying to come up with designs that I would want to wear. Um, and so that's kind of how I started to find my voice. And, you know, even to this day, all of my work is one of a kind. Um, it's not something that is a producible item. Um, so I can't, you know, take it to a factory in China and have them replicate like a thousand units of these things. This is just, these are one-offs, um, which, which makes my line pretty unique, just inherently, just, just from that. Um, because every collection I release is a limited run and once it's gone, it's gone. So if you are a lucky recipient or owner of one of my pieces, you literally are the only one in the world with that piece of jewelry. Absolutely. And that's something where I there's always that struggle between uniqueness and mass production. And we have had this argument because we're on opposite sides of it. But I want you to walk people through why you go for the unique one-off and not for something more mass produced. Well, so, I mean, it's not a scalable model. And that's, I think, what the argument is a lot of times um, with any kind of business model, right? Yeah. Something, you want to try to create a product that's scalable. So, and this is definitely not scalable. So this is really, this is kind of a passion project, really, um, for me, you know, and, and, and why I've elected to kind of go this route, even though in a lot of ways, it's much harder. It's harder to market. Um, like I said, it's not, it's not a scalable model. Um, you have to really be in it for the love of it and the passion of it. And, and I think that's kind of the foundation of, of my line. And it always has been, 
Um, but, you know, I also get incredibly bored. And so, you know, coming up with a line that I would have to just replicate mindlessly over and over and over again, which just was not interesting to me. It still isn't interesting to me. And I don't actually really understand how people, uh, I mean, I guess it because of the scalability factor, um, people definitely go this route and it's a lot more common, but I would, I would not, I would not enjoy that. I would take, it would take all the joy right out of what I do. If, um, if that's all I did was just to come up with 10 pieces in a collection um, that I would have to make several hundred units of. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't light my fire. <laughs> yeah, so speak. So that's basically why I've chosen this model. Um, and it's been, it's been really interesting because I think the fact that I have chosen this route um, creates a huge um, differentiator of my business um, versus other jewelry designers. Um, Cause it's not common. Like I said, it's not, it's the road definitely less traveled for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you told me over email in preparation for this interview, you have a new collection coming out. Why don't you tell us about it? I do. Um, over the pandemic um, in, 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 in effort to save my sanity, um, I actually went to Alaska um, for a week. Um, first time to Alaska, never been there before. And it is absolutely amazing. I was just completely taken back by the glaciers and just the big wilderness and just the beauty of Alaska, really. So this collection- People don't realize called... Alaska is a huge place. It is oh, larger it is than Texas. Massive. It is massive. It's truly massive. It is, yeah. It's, it is, and it's mostly wilderness, right? It I is, mean, yeah. Like, talk about like country that is so big in scale. And very, um, a very urban state. A... Most people, unless they want to live in the bush, live in a town because- it is so vast. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah, look like it yeah. on the map. But, it's but trust me, believe me when I say it is not urban. <laughs> no, no. I mean, <clears> so Anchorage is the, definitely the biggest city um, in Alaska. And it is. It's like five trailers you know, and a couple shacks. Yeah, I've it's, been it's a tiny, tiny, like... tiny, tiny town. You know what yeah. I mean? But the, so you don't go there for the urban experience. You go there for the amazing, amazing wilderness. Um, because it is stunning. It is, it's, it is, you see pictures of it and the pictures just don't do it justice. Cause once you're there in person, it's completely different. So I would, yeah. you know, that it struck me hugely and um, it made it a, a lasting impression. And so the new collection that I um, am in the works of right now is called Glacier. <laughs> um, very much in honor of glaciers and kind of the the grand gesture of time that they represent with nature because these things these glaciers have been you know present for thousands and thousands and, and they still persist you know and they will persist long after we are gone um unless something cataclysmic happens <laughs> but and you know and they they're so ever present but they are so ever changing at the same time and i i really loved that dichotomy um, of something that is so permanent yet so always in flux, always in, in always always changing. So, um, my new collection is is basically um, in honor of of these amazing, amazing presents of things that are you know that are capping our planet right now. Um, these glaciers that are incredible. Um, so that is that's the that's the 
inspiration for the line, but the line itself is very glacier-like in color. So I'm using a lot of aquamarines, a lot of blue zircons, Larimer, um, Herkimer diamonds, really icy kind of gems. And then um, this is my first silver collection in a while. So um, that's also um, a little bit different too than what I've been, uh, uh, the collections that I've done previously for the last couple of years. Yes, you had a you had a pretty good thing going with gold there for a while. Lots of gold. I chains. did. Yes. I did. I was doing a lot of gold, so I'm excited to kind of be working with silver because silver's. It was really kind of my first love. You know, when I first started working with jewelry, you know, silver was more affordable. So, um, a lot of my early early pieces and um, kind of the metal that I primarily worked with in the beginning was silver. So it's kind of nice to get you know, a little bit back to my roots also with this one. Absolutely. Now, here's the other thing that I, I've always find fascinating. In terms of your process, walk us through how a piece of jewelry comes to life. How do you begin? All right. Well, this always, 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 always starts with my gem shows. And so I attend quite a few wholesale gem shows. Um, the biggest one, of course, being in Tucson, Arizona, that happens annually. Um, it's massive in scale. Anyone who's anyone in the jewelry business is there. Um, it takes over the entire city. Um, and then they always have huge convention tents as set up as well around the perimeter of the city. It is just so massive. And every vendor, every, every gym vendor, precious metal vendor, anything jewelry related vendor, all converge on this little tiny town. Um, and that's where the inspiration starts is with the gems. So I have quite a few vendors that I work with um, and have over the years, and they're constantly coming out with new cuts, um, new gemstones, even like new iterations of gemstones. Um, and so it's always very exciting for me to go down there and see what the new things that they have um, and start really kind of piecing things together in my, in my mind. Um, and so that is definitely the first part is the gemstones and then um, different elements that I can pull into a collection, either uh, metal elements. Um, uh, lately, I've been actually doing a lot of my own casted um, pieces, um, a lot of my own um, fabrication um, as well. Um, stuff that I used to buy kind of from pre-made vendors who had a bunch of different really unique sort of metal findings I would include into my work but now I'm actually starting to build all that from scratch um, you know carving them from wax and then casting them into different metals um, and including those into the collections as well no absolutely so are you one to to sketch out what you're going to do or do you just no. dive right in and start I dive and right in. And... Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly how, how it works. Um, I sometimes I'll have an idea of what I think a piece could be, but I don't do any sketching. Um, I just get I just get into it right away. And it's it's interesting because, you know, not having really any kind of roadmap when you start, you know, you start putting things together, you know, and seeing if it works. Um, and if it works, you continue along that path and you explore it even further. And then you kind of get to these aha moments where 
everything is really starting to, to gel. You can start to really see the direction of where this piece is ultimately going to go. And it's really exciting when that happens. And generally speaking, you know, depending on the complexity of the piece or the size of the piece, you know, I'll have probably maybe three or four or five, even up to a half dozen aha moments while I'm designing the piece that really dictates the next moves down. I always kind of refer to the way that I design joy, kind of like a chess game. You know, I have to be mindful of what I'm doing in this, at this juncture, at this place and with this piece, because it might affect how I will be doing things 10 moves down. So I have to always kind of be anticipating what's gonna be coming so I can design properly in the moment where the piece is. And, and that's, I think what's amazing about that is you can do that without having a pre-made plan. I definitely could not. This is why I outline my novels. <laughs> no, I exhaustively outline because if I need to foreshadow something, I have to have a thing that says, okay, you have to do X because it was foreshadowed here. Or if you want this, then you have to foreshadow it back here. Like, I have to have a plan and a roadmap. So I think the fact that yeah. you do it that way is literally magic. Like, you're you're a jewelry witch. <laughs> I'm convinced. Oh, well, like... <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of, um, it's similar to someone who can draw a highly detailed image from memory, not from looking at something, not from looking at a landscape and then, and then you know, painting that landscape or drawing that landscape, but doing it all from, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of kind of like in that sort of creative bucket. Yes. To be able to kind of pull that out from nothing, from nowhere. Yeah. Not having any kind of reference part to start, but then riffing, it's almost kind of like jazz. Once you get going, you kind of riff with the piece. And you can see what works and what doesn't. And you explore further the things that are working. No, I'm, absolutely. And I think that's a, a very curious sort of curious sort of thing. I want to take from, mostly because my brain just doesn't work that way. Um, so for those <laughs> that are able to do it, it's, it's pretty magical. Um, I want to take a break from Joy for a moment. And I want to talk about your Pinterest marketing situation. You have gone all in yes. on the Pinterest marketing. Tell us more. I have. Well, so, you know, the, the age old question of what's more important, right? Building a really wonderful product or the marketing, right? And I would say that you almost just have to have a great product to start. You just have to, like that should be built in. And really the more important aspect of a product, whether it is, um, whether you're a writer and you're trying to get a, a book published or you have a book published or you're a painter and you have a painting, whatever your end of product is from your creative endeavor, the marketing aspect is going to be a plus the most important thing that you can do. I, in, in fact, marketing. So I'm a jewelry designer, right? By trade, but really where I spend most of my time is marketing my work and the platform that I have found to be the most effective because it's an attraction platform. Um, it's a place where people go to discover new brands, new products, new ideas, um, instead of like Instagram, which is very much kind of brand building and it keeps you on the platform. Instagram doesn't want you to leave its platform. Um, Pinterest is different because it's a search engine effectively. It's an image-based search engine. So 
the ability for either product sellers or service-based providers or SaaS or whatever you are doing in the digital space, um, if you are looking to attract new clients, new customers, a new audience of people who have not been exposed to your brand, Pinterest is definitely the place to be because people go to search for for new stuff on Pinterest. It's just search engine. So if you are properly using SEO and keywords with your pin descriptions and with your pin titles and with your board descriptions and your and your board titles. Um, you're basically, it's just like SEO on your own site, right? The better SEO you have on your site, the more searchable your site becomes in Google. Same thing with Pinterest, except with images. I think, yes. What I find interesting about Pinterest, I, I have not, I've, I've found the Pinterest audience is not terribly interested in the news, which is what I do. So I don't. Yes. So I, it would be a bad. Yes, I don't. You, I don't sure. do a lot of pinch on the daily. But what I do is I will do my mood boards for a project I'm working on. What I'm amazed. Here's what yes. I'm amazed about Pinterest. When we had Rouge's magazine, which closed in December, we could do a hundred thousand views a month, and we didn't focus on Pinterest. <laughs> like it was one of those things where yeah, we, yeah. we shared the stuff from the site there as a convenient sort of thing mostly as an extra pr one link to link back to our url um and um yeah and we we would get tons of views on stuff without really even trying even on my personal account i have thousands of followers and get lots of views a month and i don't really do pinterest it is amazing at how responsive people are it is. It's my yeah, because people can click off. The, there's so many places to click off. Off, off Pinterest wants you to click off their platform. Once you find what you went there to look for, it wants you to click off. So you have URLs all over the place that people can click out of Pinterest to get to your website. Like for instance, Instagram gives you one URL in your in your bio. Yeah. That's it. Um, there's, it's very, they don't want, again, they don't want people to leave their platform. So they don't allow for a lot of opportunity for people to click off of Instagram. Um, but with Pinterest, it is, it's a different, it's a whole different ball game over there. They, you can, you can link your pins, you can link your text, you can link your profile. You can link, you can just link out all over the place on Pinterest because it's, it's, it's because it's a traffic driver. Its purpose is to drive traffic to your site, literally. So, you know, that's that's why I love Pinterest. That's why I got super into Pinterest. I went to, um, I got invited to Pinterest headquarters to be part of their uh, creators conference where they only invited 12 pinners from their platform to participate in. Um, I helped them kind of in the early days develop story pins, which has now been widely released. It's still in beta. You still have to um, request early access to it. But this has become a huge new feature for Pinterest um, that um, is, you know, for creators. It's it's the one it's the one thing that does not actually link out because I've been talking about how awesome Pinterest is about linking yes. out. So that's the one that's the one downside of their story pin feature. But um, you know, I was able to work on that with their developers in the early stages, in, in early stages two years ago. Um, so that was been that was been um, a really fun experience actually to kind of you know brainstorm 
with a top platform like Pinterest about this brand new feature that is 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 being hailed as you know I, I in fact I just uh, had uh, the Pinterest uh, their first digital conference ever. Um, they've gone digital, of course, because of in the wake of COVID. Right. But um, they were just talking about, you know, how story pins are really going to be the focus of their platform going forward right now. So, um, yeah. So anyway, Pinterest is great. And I actually started a Pinterest marketing blog um, for makers because your strategy on Pinterest, if you're selling, if you're a small business and you're a small product seller, um, your strategy is gonna be a little bit different than someone who sells, say, online courses or who sells um, software as a service. Um, your strategy is gonna be different. Um, and so I really wanted to make it available for other makers like me to kind of cut through the noise um, and to get results faster. Um, by kind of, um, you know, just giving them tips that that are actionable, specific to the industry of small, small independent makers. It could be pottery, ceramics, you know, jewelry, um, but you know, small batch makers. Yeah, absolutely. Oh no, there's some um, there's some visual sort of things that I'm I'm working on that I will definitely be be adding to Pinterest, but. What it what if what if you in for terms of making Pinterest for the small batch makers of of the country, um, you know you, you've obviously you know gotten really involved. Is is it as good of a platform for selling things as people say it is? Because that was like when e-commerce first really began to be a thing. Pinterest owned that. I think they still do. Yeah. And I wanted to find out if they, they still own that. Like, is that still a thing? Yeah. yeah, they do. So, you know, I mean, Pinterest is partnered with Shopify, which is the biggest e-com platform in the world. Right. Um, and they, you know, they've been partnered with them for a long time. Just, I think Pinterest has always identified them as a leader in the e-com space. Um, and they have rolled out a ton of features for product sellers um, on the platform. And a lot of that was rolled out actually last year. Um, you know, some of that I think was probably on deck anyway, but certainly COVID um, really kickstarted, I think, a, a, the, the, the rush to add these features to the platform. So, because everything went from, you know, brick and mortar to, you know, you gotta have an online game you have to have the ability for people to buy online. So um, they have a ton of, you know, new shopping features. Um, it's much easier to upload your product catalog um, than it was before. Um, you know, making product pins is much simpler. Um, and in fact, if you have a Shopify store, um, it's really easy to just get all these plugins right into the back end of your Shopify site. And all of this stuff can be done for you without you even thinking about it. I have a Squarespace, so it's not quite as intuitive or easy. Um, but yeah, they, it's definitely, a, let's, let's just, I mean, for just posterity's sake, you know, um, you it's like a ridiculous number. I think it's 87% of pinners who have seen something on Pinterest um, has gone back to buy it. Like, so pinners, what basically the buying cycle of a pinner, so they'll see something on Pinterest, they'll save it to a board and they'll come back to, to it later to either buy or 
you know, a lot of, you know, Pinterest is a place for planning. So a lot of people are planning their weddings, um, bachelorette parties or whatever, you know, um, if they see a piece of jewelry that they love, they'll pin it to a board and they'll come back to it later. No, that's incredibly, <clears throat> that's incredibly powerful and quite, quite impressive. How did you, because I didn't, I like kind of knew, I was, we were friends when you got into the whole Pinterest thing. I never quite figured out, how did you find that? Like, how did you decide I'm going all in on Pinterest? Well, I always knew that it was something that I needed to add to my digital marketing, right? Um, I kind of got into digital marketing heavily. Like I just, it wasn't just Pinterest that I kind of picked up with the digital marketing. I made a decision about four years ago, I need to really level up my digital marketing skills because this is the future of, of commerce online. I just, I saw the trend and I rolled with it. And that's when I, you know, that's when I got, that's when I fired up like six years ago is actually when I fired up my Squarespace um, online store. Uh, but it was about four years when I decided that I really needed to get into digital marketing. So, you know, just digital marketing in general, I was kind of attacking all, all, all of the topics that surround digital marketing. And Pinterest was obviously something that was like an obvious fit for, for my right. niche, right? So, you know, I started exploring it. I started, you know, I think at that point in time, I had hired um, a Pinterest expert at the time to kind of go through my um, my account and audit it and tell me like, hey, this is what you need to be doing. You know, you need to switch to a business account instead of a personal account. You need to be doing these types of boards, you know. And she gave me this whole um, list of things to do. And so I went through that list. I started to see my monthly viewership grow. Um, and I started to be become a lot more consistent with it because really the, the key to any success on Pinterest is consistency, is consistency. So I started being very consistent with my efforts there. And then it was, you know, maybe six months after I'd been really consistent and my account started growing that actually um, a gal who worked for Pinterest contacted me and she's like, hey, we are be in the beginning stages of developing a new product for Pinterest called Story Pins. Would you like to be a beta tester? um for this feature this is you know two years ago this is like in its first inception and i was yeah i was like yes please i would love to and so i started using that particular feature that they had in the very early stages of beta um like crazy i started just using it all the time i was just doing all sorts of stuff with it i was just having a lot of fun with it um and that's when i started that's when they she contacted me back again and she was like we were seeing what you're doing with story pins and we would love to invite you to kind of be part of our development team with this product because you're so active using it and you can with the feedback you know i had a bunch of um zoom calls with their internal teams about what i thought was you know was working what i didn't think was working they would walk me through new features and ask me if anything was confusing um but anyway so that that kind of snowballed into the invite to Pinterest headquarters, to being a speaker at their annual employee conference, NitCon. Um, and then ever since then, I've just been a huge advocate for Pinterest because I see the benefits of it as a product seller, um, as, as someone who's trying to market a business, um, because it's really hard to grow or even get a new audience to 
what you do uh, on a platform like Instagram or Facebook. You know, Facebook uh, stopped being effective a long time ago when they when it became a pay to play yeah. space. Um, you know, the the free traffic was completely gone. Um, so there, there it, it became it was a wonderful traffic driver in the beginning, and then suddenly became a, a, a not so great traffic driver. So. You know, you know, trying to find other platforms that would actually drive traffic to your site. Um, you know, it was really exciting when I found Pinterest to be very effective at that particular thing. Yes. I mean, like I said, I've always been amazed at the amount of, of traffic that, you know, we have, I, I've gotten through my various products on Pinterest, especially as something that I don't particularly focus on. As a writer, Twitter is my kingdom. So when it comes to, oh yeah, yeah absolutely but, well I mean it's it's like it's not it's not an image based based platform it's a word based platform yeah and, for and, word yeah for word and, people and, and so, so writers. for writers in the news Twitter is our is our kingdom and so you know as you can imagine like I I've not gotten invited to Twitter but I do um I I you I am I am on the uh the the user the user feedback board so. I usually get everything. I got dark mode three weeks before everybody else. Um, you know, I I get all sorts of special yeah, things yeah. because. Well, the one thing I've been that on Twitter for ten years, really so I saw I saw Twitter long before most yeah. people did. So it's weird, but. Well, the you know, getting into the digital marketing world and really kind of understanding how all these different platforms work is, you know, they're they're it's not they're not created equal no. for all niches. First of all, um, even Pinterest is not a great place for, you know, for content. No, like it's yours. not. It, no, I would no, not it's not a mover for It's never it. been a mover for me. It's fun. Yeah. I, I enjoy yeah. it as a person. I have a business account because when I did e-commerce, I really did Pinterest sort of thing. Um, and that was kind of a mover. But otherwise, you know, for the news, people on Pinterest do not want to read the news on Pinterest. So I don't I don't I don't deliver it no, to them fact, because they don't want yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, um, in fact, what, that was one of the things that Ben, the founder, said today in the presentation was like, yeah, we, we uh, they stopped showing um, any sort of political ads like four years ago. Like they were on the tip of like eradicating basically news based content off their platform because it's, it's not a great platform for that. And plus, Pinterest is a place of positivity. Um, and a lot of political conversations don't foster that type of positivity. So, you know, they, um, they are very, very, very careful about what type of content that they allow to live on their platform and political content is definitely not one of them. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I figured that out a while. Cause I mean, when I first, cause I had, I kind of started my own personal account and I was working in fashion at the time. So I had all of that sort of thing and I was making all these images or had access to them, whatever have you. And so I was I was doing that. And then when I kind of went more into news commentary, I was I already had kind of this following and I wanted to bring it with me. And I figured out pretty early on people on Pinterest do not want to read the news there. So back to Twitter I went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's um so um, it's definitely not. I mean, and also, you know, just YouTube has its own you know, purpose. Instagram, like I said, has its own purpose. Wonderful for branding. Wonderful for connecting to people who are already yeah. in your funnel, who are already aware of your brands. Um, to have that kind of connection point to maintain that connection between, you know, them buying from you again, right? Um, so, you know, Pinterest, for me, 
it's important for me to get new eyeballs on my work, to get a new audience, to get new people to sign up for my email address. So it's for my email so I can follow up with them so I can build that know, like, and trust relationship with them throughout their customer journey to hopefully convert. No, absolutely. That's, that's quite impressive. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, make this interview a bit shorter because I made a scheduling mistake. So now's the type of, <laughs> now's the no, time of the show no. where we do plugs let people know where they can find you online and your website no worries um my website is andrealee.com and don't worry dear um, listener it will pinterest... be in the show notes keep going <laughs> yeah <laughs> my pinterest instagram are all andrealee designs i actually am on twitter um, but you'll see that it's, I'm probably not as active yes. as you are <laughs> for the same reasons. You're not as active as right. I am on Pinterest. Um, but yeah, anything you can find me all over online, um, under Andrea Lee designs and then my website itself. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the Cameron journal podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Have Thank a wonderful you. day. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Callen on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.